Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1 as we continue our story, a joyful reunion of Luke chapter 1 verse 39 is where we'll be this morning. And good morning. And I pray that you have survived the Christmas rush with all of its hustles and bustles and are looking forward to the new year 2020. It's appropriate that we find ourselves at this point in Luke's orderly account of the life of Christ. Christmas is a great time of joyful reunions. This week, we welcomed uh, my mom and my nephew Chance as they came uh, to visit with us during the Christmas time and the holiday season, and we're enjoying that. We all love reunion videos of returning soldiers and united with their families after long absence, don't we? We uh, brush back the tears that form in the corner of our eyes as we are moved by the heartfelt joy at loved ones who are reunited. Just yesterday, I watched a video of an NBA basketball player who hadn't seen his mother in over three years. She had never seen him play an NBA professional basketball game. Uh, She lives in Africa. That's where they're from. And unbeknownst to him, his team in the NBA had secretly brought her over and surprised him at the end of practice. The look on his face was priceless and his emotions were raw as they bubbled up as he saw her come onto the court. It was very moving. There's something about being reunited with someone you love and have spent time, spent a lot of time with. They mean something to you. You look uh, long to see them and hold them close and share all that has happened in your life since the time uh, you last were connected. Now, last week we explored Luke's orderly account of Gabriel's unexpected encounter with Mary, a young girl betrothed to Joseph. His arrival brought the promise that she would be a recipient of God's divine grace through the bearing of the Messiah, though she was still a virgin. We read his promise in Luke chapter 1, verse 31. If you're there, you could look up there. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. This son of promise would be the most unique baby ever born. One that will bring the redemption of God's people and usher in the kingdom of God that they had been looking for. We learn that Luke records this encounter so that you and I may have certainty of three important truths. These are here on the monitor, I believe. That you and I can have certainty about the person and work of Mary. Who is Mary? The world has taken Mary and magnified her beyond what scripture has done to the point that she is now co-redeemer with Jesus, and that you should pray to her. But we find in Scripture there is no evidence that that was ever the case. So you and I need to understand who Mary truly is and what God's role for her was. We can have certainty about the importance of uh, the virgin birth. We talked about how many pastors and churches are not denying the virgin birth, but marginalizing it, putting it to the side. But then last week we looked at how we can have certainty about the person of Christ That he is fully and truly both man and God. Now our response to these last week was to submit to the lordship of Christ and his reign over all of our lives. We were to serve him selflessly with our whole heart, mind and strength. And then we were to worship him with a heart of joy and gratitude and love. But today as we continue in this passage, we're going to move to verse 39 of chapter 1. 
as Luke records Mary's joyful reunion with her aunt, Elizabeth. So with that, it'll be here on the monitor, verse 38. Let's start verse 39. I'm sorry. Let's look at which verse am I in here. I'm at verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and she went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Let's pray. Father, just give us wisdom as we open up your word. This is written for our benefit and for us to, to, to have certainty, to erase the doubts of the origins of who Christ is. So give us wisdom and strength. Give us uh, attentive ears to hear. Uh, uh, d- diminish all distraction. And Lord, let us also just respond to your Holy Spirit's work in our lives. We thank you for this in your name. Amen. Now, once again, Luke, the historian, is writing an orderly account of the life of Christ. And it moves now the narrative from Mary and Nazareth from last week back to Elizabeth in Judea. This is about a 70-mile trip, not a small task for a young girl around 14 years of age. We're not told if she's accompanied by anyone else, but in either, in either case, Mary travels to visit her aunt. Now, up to this point, Luke has been writing parallel accounts of the promises of a son, both to Zachariah and Elizabeth, and then Mary. Both encounters with the angels were unexpected, and the promises of a son were both miraculous, in that Zachariah and Elizabeth had no success in producing a child. And they were no longer of childbearing age. Mary is a young woman, a virgin, who though promised in marriage to someone, has not yet consummated that marriage vial. Now Luke now brings these two parallel stories together in one joyful reunion between the aunt and the niece, who both have wonderful news to share and to rejoice in. Luke then records their joyful interaction with even Elizabeth's baby, the future John the Baptist, getting in on the act. Luke then writes down the the poem that Mary exclaims and sings as she considers the goodness and the greatness of God towards her. I now know by now that you have grown tired of my repetition of several phrases. We're only five messages in, but you've heard these phrases. An orderly account and write that you may have certainty. That's what's Luke's purpose of writing the gospel. And I can understand that, but repetition and redundancy is the key to learning and retaining what God has given to us. To understand the gospel, Luke, you and I must understand what he is writing. You'll see this on the monitor, just so you know, as we work our way through these 24 chapters, this is what we're trying to gather. He is writing an orderly account of the life of Christ, that we may have certainty about the things we have been taught, the things we have heard, received, and believed. Now, generally to his Gentile uh, Christian believers who have believed in the first century, but also to you and I today. The other key components to understanding this gospel, or any part of scripture for that matter, is to understand where we are in the story of the Bible. At this point, we are at the dawn of the revealing of who is the prince that would slay the dragon and win the girl. The prince is the son of promise, the Messiah, the king, the son of David, the very son of God who will redeem his people from their sin and usher in the kingdom that will eliminate or culminate in the final restoration of all of creation. Yahweh reveals himself as the writer of all of history. 
and he announces that the Son of God himself shall bring a light that breaks through the darkness of uncertainty and sin and death. And that's the good news that you and I still have to share in a world of uncertainty. Now, as you can imagine from our passage the last two weeks, this is the good news that the angel Gabriel brought to Mary would have been very overwhelming to her. This young girl's life is now turned upside down in the most unexpected but glorious way. We are not even considering the impact that this would have on her relationship and marriage with Joseph. Matthew covers that part of it. Luke is tasked by the Holy Spirit just to record Mary's side of the equation. So as we consider that, consider that this this story, this announcement, though it's glorious news, would have been overwhelming and, and maybe very unbelievable to her. She's still pondering these things in her heart. Now this reunion most likely took place between Mary and Elizabeth. So that due to Mary's question, back to the angel in verse 34. Look at verse 34. After listening to the angel's promise, she asked them, How will this be since I am a virgin? She wants to know, how could this be good news? How will this happen? In verse 35, Gabriel answers, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure if that alleviated her fears and her questions. That probably just rose up a whole bunch of other things that she said, what? You talking to me? This is how you're answering my question? Now, this seems like the stuff of fairy tales and pagan myths and legends. The Greeks and the Romans, along with other heathen cultures, had tales of God impregnating human women and creating half-men and half-God offspring. We think of Hercules and many others. How can this be true? To her, this would, be, this would not uh, compute. Yet as we learned last week, this is no myth. It is no legend or some hybrid being. But the very Son of God humbly taking the form of man in order to redeem God's children from sin and death. We see this in Philippians chapter 2. Still to us and Mary, the concept of the Holy Spirit impregnating her would have been mind-boggling and difficult to accept. This brings us to the reason why Luke records this reunion. Why does he write, why does God preserve through the Holy Spirit and through all time this reunion, very quick uh, story? Why? Because he wants to give his Gentile Christians Reader's certainty. In verse 36, 36, look at what the angel tells Mary to give her certainty about the promise of a son. How can these things be? He gives her some evidence. Look at verse 36. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. Mary, if you're struggling with what I believe, go talk to Elizabeth. She, who is of, age, who is of older age, advanced in age, who has been barren her whole life, is now in her six months. So I think the first reason is you and I come to interpret the scripture. Why is Luke recording this story? What benefit is, to, is it to Luke's readers, original readers, and to you and I throughout Christendom and throughout history? I think the first reason that Mary travels these 70 miles south to Judea 
is for confirmation. It's for confirmation. The angel details the promise given to her aunt has evidence that he is telling the truth about God's calling, plan, and purpose for her and the life of her child. As we move in today's passage, we see that this confirmation is a given immediately as she enters into her relative's home. Look with me at verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, look what happens. The baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. One theologian asked the question that this passage answers. Who was the first person to welcome Jesus and announce his lordship? In this passage, we find that it was the baby John the Baptist before he was ever born. Still in his mother's womb, he leaps at the sound of Mary's voice, knowing that she's carrying the one that he came to prepare the way for. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth understands completely what this means as she proclaims a blessing on Mary. This exaltation confirms all that Mary has been pondering in her heart since the angel came to her that morning or that evening. Yahweh has blessed her by using her to serve his purposes for the redemption of man. Now, as we have pointed out before, and this is so important for you to understand, Mary is not blessed because of any merit or special properties within herself, but because God chose her. He loved her. She is a recipient of God's blessing, not a dispenser of God's blessing. It's the same blessing that you and I are blessed when we see in Ephesians 1 that we are chosen by God for all of his rich mercies. Now her return greeting, Elizabeth confirms that she too is pregnant as she also proclaims, for behold, when the sound of your greeting come to my ear, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. There is the evidence that Gabriel had gave Mary. If this is hard for you to believe Mary, go visit Elizabeth. She is six months with child. Elizabeth's pregnancy is a miracle as well. And it serves to confirm the power of God to bring to life where no life can begin. For nothing is impossible with God. If God can bring life from a barren womb, then he can bring life to a woman who has never known a man. Now, the second reason I believe why Luke records this reunion visit is because it's not only does it bring confirmation that God can do the impossible, but also because it affirms, affirms God's plan for Mary and her newly formed child. It affirms Mary and God's plan for her. You see, Elizabeth affirms the identity of Mary's son of promise when she exclaims, why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord, did you catch that when we read that together? The mother of my Lord should come 
to me the question she asks. In that, she confirms that Mary is carrying the Messiah. She recognized that he is the, the son of David, the king. Elizabeth understands that the baby is God. She calls him my Lord. This is an exclamation of identity and of his purpose. This is similar to Peter's testimony that we find later in Scripture when Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say I am? In Matthew 16, 16, you'll see his response, Peter's reply on the monitor, when he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is similar to what Elizabeth is saying, my Lord. Elizabeth also encourages Mary to accept this wonderful promise and gift. She says, Mary, you must understand how precious and wonderful this is. She says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what it was spoken to her from the Lord. In other words, as, a, as an older woman, as an aunt to a niece, she says, you need to believe this. Blessed is the one who believes that God can do what he says he will do. She wants Mary to have certainty about the promises of God, just as she was certain that God had given her a, a baby herself. Now we go into verse 46. We read that both the confirmation and the affirmation take roots, take, takes root in Mary's heart as she declares, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will become or will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. So Luke writes to ensure us, to ensure his reader, that Mary did finally come to understand and accept her role in the redemption story. His readers can accept with certainty the origin stories of Christ that they had heard from the disciples, the apostles, and from those that had passed it down to this time. They can understand and accept the origin stories of not only Christ's calling of who he was, his identity, but also his plan to redeem God's people. And also his purpose is to rule and to reign as the king and as the prince who redeems the children of God. That's why we have this story for us today. It's more than just a simple Christmas story, something that we can make in the plays, something that can just rise our emotion. But this little story in the Judean hills is for you and I to have certainty of who Christ is. Now, before you and I go to our response, to the application to these certainties, I want to take a moment and look at one character that you and I have not really looked at very closely. He has appeared in every scene so far, but, once when, but one that we have not discussed, discussed fully, and that is the Holy Spirit. You see him written throughout these pages. Until now, he has been a silent but powerful character that has worked in the background. In chapter 1 of Luke, the triune God is in full display. We must remember that God is revealed as a trinity. Now, this becomes a very difficult and hard topic for you and I to understand. The Godhead is a trinity. The Trinity can be explained by the following assertions or statements. I have them here on the monitor if you want to write them down or just consider them. The first is you and I must understand that the Godhead, the Trinity, is three persons. The Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. And you and I must, must remember that each is a person of God. But also that each person is fully God. Now the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. And so on and so forth. They are each their own person. But yet each person is fully God. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit many times... In, in, our, in our denomination or in our fellowship is many times uh, put down to the back burner. But he himself is God, omnipresent, omnipotent. He has all the attributes of God. So as we see, God is in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And each person is fully God. But yet, number three, this is important, you and I must understand, this is where it comes difficult. There is only one God. So in Luke chapter 1, many people say, well, the Trinity is not in the Bible. And that is true. You will not find the word Trinity in the Bible. You will not find the word rapture in the Bible. There are many words and doctrines and thoughts that we use that are not in the Bible, but yet they are found within its pages. And in Luke chapter 1, we see God the Father. We see the God, God the Son coming in the incarnation. And we see the Holy Spirit at work. You and I must understand that. Jesus, at the end of the day of his days here on earth, on his last evening, promised the disciples that he would send a helper, the Holy Spirit. And in John chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That would be his purpose. One theologian writes that in addition to the Spirit's work in salvation, there are numerous ways that the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And you and I must understand this. He enables believers to live the Christian life. He intercedes for us. He illuminates and guides believers into all the truth. He enables Christians to fight sin. He sanctifies us, makes us more like Christ. And he gives us assurance to know that we are children of God. He is the sealer, the guarantor of our faith. So the Holy Spirit, as we see here, is at great work in the lives of Mary, Zechariah, and Elizabeth. In last week's passage, we read that the Holy Spirit was instrumental in the incarnation through the pregnancy of Mary. But also in proclaiming, we see this week, the identity of Jesus as Messiah, the promised Redeemer. And that is the job of the Holy Spirit, is to point us back to Christ Going back to Elizabeth's proclamation of Mary's baby as the Lord. We see that this is due to both her and her baby being what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Reflecting back to Peter's answer to Jesus' question of his identity in Matthew chapter 16, we see the, the Holy Spirit as well as the Father in work as well. For Jesus answered him when Peter said, You are Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, Blessed are you, Simon. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, the Father sends the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and hearts to the identity of the Prince who redeems God's children. You and I are to share the gospel. We are to evangelize. We are to give the good news. But in the end, it is, the only, it is only the Holy Spirit who can open the minds and the eyes of those who have been blinded by the God of this world, speaking of Satan, and we see in 1 Corinthians. So you and I can only do what God has called us to, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit to point to Christ and who He is. 
The work of the Holy Spirit is indispensable. For without it, you and I would be lost in our sin. We would be blinded by darkness. This world would be without hope. For God has ordained that the proclamation that Jesus is Lord is the foundation of God's plan and purpose in redemption. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, continuing on this, this interaction between Peter and Jesus, who do men say that I am? You are the Son of the living God. Blessed for the, for the Spirit, or for the Father has given that to you. Jesus says, I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, unfortunately, the Catholicism has taken that and say, well, that means that Peter is the Pope. But it's a, a, a play on words. Peter meant pebble, stone. And what he says is not that, Peter, I will build my rock upon you. But he says, no, be upon your declaration. Your statement that Jesus is the son of the living God. That is the rock in which God will build his church. And that's what you and I stand on today. And we've spoken about that in our adult core class. We don't want to be that impotent church. We want to be that church, though, that is so strong, that is firmly on the foundation that Jesus is Lord. And that way the gates of hell will never prevail. For the prince will slay the dragon and win the girl. The story is written. You and I stand in victory. And only those who proclaim that Jesus is Lord will ever see the new kingdom and new earth. And I encourage you today, if you have not yet proclaimed that Jesus is Lord, not just with your mouth, but with your heart, you understand what that means and what that entails, then I would just beseech you today, would you do so this morning? For the day is the day of salvation. Understand the truth of the gospel, that Jesus came to pay the ransom for sinners, for those that were lost, and for those who believe and turn away from their sin and turn and trust towards Christ will have eternal life. Luke writes that you and I may have certainty that the Holy Spirit is at work in the redemption plan from the beginning. But now as you and I understand that this passage gives Mary confirmation and affirmation, and by giving that to Mary, he gives it to us. We can understand who Jesus is, his origins, his purpose, his plan, and his calling. What do you and I do with that now 2,000 years? Actually, 1,986 years, I did the math today. If Jesus died in, in, in around 33, or what, what would we say, probably 480 or so, around there or so. What do we do with that? You and I now have to come to the task of applying what we have read, learned, and discovered. What does this passage do for you and I? Now, I don't know about you, but many times we just read it and say, oh, this is a great story. It's a great reunion. But what do we do with this story? How does the Holy Spirit work in our life through this reunion? If Mary and Elizabeth are certain of what's transpired, if this now gives Luke's original Gentile readers a certainty of the origins of Christ and who John the Baptist is, this should solidify for you and I today our certainty. It should erase any doubts that you may have concerning the identity and the purpose and the plan of Christ. And I believe I'm probably speaking to those who are of the choir. So congratulations. But yet, what do we still do with that? 
Yes, the incarnation is difficult to accept and understand. The work of the Holy Spirit eludes many of us. The idea of the Trinity is beyond our comprehension. And so for all three of those things that we've talked about today, we probably don't really want to get in a conversation with someone that doesn't know Scripture. Or maybe even that knows Scripture and wants to debate with you. These are probably three things that we'd rather leave to the side and say, let's just go on and talk about the words of Jesus or the, the works of Jesus or what he did on the cross. That's a little bit more understandable. Unfortunately, that's what many pastors and churches are doing by leaving these things aside. But yet these are the very foundations that you and I are built upon. We and I can have certainty even if other churches and pastors have abandoned these wonderful truths. So you and I today, if we're looking at how to apply this, how to respond, you and I should respond in the same way Mary does in this chapter. The application is already written for you and I. As we continue through this narrative, we read that what Mary does when she's confirmed and affirmed all that she's heard and learned, she responds by praising and worshiping God and gratitude and joy for the confirmation and affirmation she finds with her reunion with her aunt Elizabeth. She understands God's calling, plan, and purpose for her life and for her son. Maybe not all. So maybe the question, Mary, did you know in the song, is somewhat apropos because she probably did not have a complete picture. I'm sure there was many surprises and wonderments at the end of Christ's life when he was crucified and she was there. And even on the day of resurrection, when she embraced her son, when he came once again, and when he ascended, the end of her story. But you and I can have certainty. You and I can respond the same way Mary did. She praises and worships God for four things as we continue in our passage and come near to the close. In verse 46, join with me as we look at it. She praises God for what he's done for her. Look at what, he sa what she says. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Look at who he is. She's identifying him. Why? For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, and all generations will call me blessed. She praises God for what he done for her. You and I should take a moment to look and see what God has called us to do. For what he's done, what he's confirmed, what he's affirmed in your life. And I know all things in your life have not turned out the way that you've expected them. It's not your plan, the way that you have written the script of your life. But yet we need to praise God for what he's done for us. Count his many blessings. Number two, she praises God for who he is as we see here. Look at verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Have you considered that? The holiness of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, in the Trinity. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. I challenge you this morning. 
You and I need to embrace scripture as we come to 20 and 20. I encourage you to read as much scripture as you can. Get on a reading plan. Uh, read through the Old Old Testament, the New Testament if possible. If not, choose the Old Testament or just the New Testament and read through it. And in there, see who God is. Many times our eyes and our minds and our hearts and our life is just focused on who we are. We're all about trying to figure out who we are. We're paying people for motivation, for therapeutic, for all sorts of things, trying to figure ourselves out. That's futile. That's nonsense. Until you know who Christ is, you'll never know yourself. John Calvin said that. Great words. Do you know who Christ is? Do you recognize who he is and his attributes and his wonderfulness? You and I need to see him as the object of our admiration, as the gospel primer says. I know I'm redundant on that, but I would encourage you. Those are such great words and things to meditate on, to praise and worship him for who he is. Number three, we need to she praises God for his redeeming work. Look at verse 51 and 53 of Luke chapter 1. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from his thrones. He has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. And you and I look at that and say, well, those are great things, but yet we don't see them today. And I would agree, physically, it seems like this is the reverse of what you and I desire to see. But what we see is the spiritual reality. This is Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. This is the redeeming work of God of changing our hearts and our desires, and putting him towards him. But yet you and I need to realize that we need to praise him for his redeeming work in our hearts. And his kingdom grows, not by nation and political and, and social constructs, but his kingdom is growing as one heart submits to his lordship. But you and I have this promise. One day Christ's redeeming work will be complete in the day that he comes to earth. Even the millennium, as great and wonderful it is, will see his righteous and peaceful rule. But again, there will be an uprising. So we see really the reality of this is pictured somewhat in the millennium, but greater still in the new heaven and the new kingdom. When he will wipe away every tear from their eye, there'll be no more sorrow, no more crying. There'll be no more hunger, no more thirsting. Righteousness and justice will be done. The world cries out even today for justice. We cry out for righteousness and peace. Christ's redeeming work has begun. It's 2,000 years in the making. But the story is not finished. But still we should praise God for what he's doing within our hearts. For these attributes, this wisdom, this peace, this righteousness ought to be changing our attitudes and our mind, the way that you and I think. But then number four, we see that Mary praises God for his faithfulness. We forget this so often. Look at verse 54. He has helped his servant, speaking of God, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring, forever.
this redeeming work of Christ started in the garden. Genesis 3.15. Right after the fall, Jesus, or the, the father gave this promise of the prince who would slay the dragon and win the girl. The Old Testament expands that story until we come to, to the gospel. And here Luke is expanding who Jesus is. God has been faithful to Abraham. He's been faithful in his promises to Israel. And he's been faithful that he would bring the Gentiles into the light as well. And that's where you and I stand. And you and I need to remember the faithfulness of God to his promises. Even when we are faithless, he says in Galatians, I believe, he is faithful. Aren't you glad that your salvation, your sanctification is not based on your faithfulness? It's not based on your works or how good you are or how much you please God, but it's based on how much God loves you, how much God uh, desires you, how much God wants to bring you to himself. Have you praised God for his faithfulness in your heart? This is how Mary praises and worships God. This is how you and I, you and I should respond to God's calling, plan, and purpose for our lives as well. No matter how much that overwhelms us, not how, even though that may up, uh, turn our life upside down as it did for her, as much pain it might cause you, you and I need to praise God for his calling, his plan, and his purposes for our lives. Certainty brings clarity. Now listen to this. Certainty of what God is doing brings clarity. It brings clarity. It helps us understand who we are and what we're to do. But listen to this. Once we have that clarity, it brings courage. The boldness that you and I need to do to go forward in God's plan, knowing that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. So you and I must pray for certainty. We must look for clarity. And that clarity will bring courage. And when that courage comes, it brings celebration for what God is doing. That's what you see happening in Mary's life. See happening in Elizabeth. Let us happen to you and I. For God is doing his redemption plan. His story continues. The canon of the Bible is closed but yet God's story is not finished. And until today, his bride is received by the prince. And all God restores back to new. As you and I approach the last days of 2019, let us praise and worship God as he confirms and affirms his sovereign and providential rule through Christ. May we be encouraged that Jesus had promised that one day he will turn to rule in righteousness, justice, and peace. That's truly what Christmas means. Let me close with this passage of scripture. I'll ask the worship team to go ahead and come on up. Revelation chapter 22. Jesus says, I am the root and the descendant of David. I'm the bride and my morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. He who testifies to these sayings says, surely I am coming soon. 
Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And God's people said, Amen. Let's bow your head and close your eyes, if you would, for just a moment. And I just want to encourage you. I believe as I look out, most of you have known Christ. You've given testimony to that faith. If not, I pray that you'd come to days that you may know. Come and see me or Randy or Landon. We'd love to share with you how you can know who Jesus is and know whether or not that you have eternal life. For those that hear that know Christ, if you're struggling in your faith, I want to encourage you. Come to Christ. Come to the one who is faithful. Come to the one who loves you. Come to the one whose arms are open and say, and say here, come to me. If you're here as a Christian and you're struggling with sin, recognize that Christ will affirm and confirm through the Holy Spirit his work in you. Would you praise and worship him for who he is? And may God be glorified and for our good. Father, we thank you for this. Confirm and affirm our faith in you and our trust in you. Let us understand that nothing is impossible because what you have accomplished is so wonderful towards us. Let us find encouragement. Let us find clarity. Let us find courage and celebration in this story, in this wonderful reunion. Lord, that you may be glorified and others may come to know you as Savior. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.